Oh, this is the big one. Here we go. Stanontology, a K-pop track breakdown podcast hosted by me, Claudia. I use she her pronouns, and hey, um, Regs or Michael, they them pronouns. If we sound tired, uh, certainly on my end, I have been in double super lockdown because of the California wildfires and also COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, and you moved. Yeah, it's fine. We don't need to make excuses for ourselves. We needed the time to plan this fucking episode because, boy, yeah. howdy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if we said for the Twice episode that people were like, oh, when are you going to cover Twice? It's like the thing that has been nonstop since we, not even since we started the project, since, like, since we briefly mentioned that we had this idea to people, to friends, it was like, oh, you're going to cover BTS, right? It's like, yes, ob- obviously we are. There's no way we yeah. couldn't. There's yeah, no way we're around talk, that. We're going yeah. to talk about BTS. But, you know, to talk about BTS, that means, you know, like, talking about BTS. That's, that's, a, that's a whole deal, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So today's the day where we talk about BTS. <sighs> and specifically, we have decided that the way we're going to talk about BTS is breaking down, among other things, the 2016 global mega hit that is blood sweat and tears yeah there we go i'm just gonna let that hang yeah again stand (laughs) trick i i sing the hook and here comes the clip So we did decide that we would start off by talking a little bit about who they are, but it's also BTS, and so that feels superfluous. So I mean, <laughs> we'll try to we'll, you, we'll, we'll do this at speed. Yeah, I mean, if you know anything about K-pop, it's probably because of BTS. That's sort of yeah. the basic point. But they are a seven-member boy group. Um, they are a seven-member boy group who've been going for about seven years or so. Yeah. Um, they are assigned to a label called Big Hit Entertainment. Um, and uh, let's talk about who the members are first. Yeah, so we have, we'll call them the rap line because they are the, the main rappers of the group. We've, ex- we've explained the idea of lines and distributions before, so, but the rap line is RM. Uh, rap Monster, rap- formerly known as Rap Monster. Yeah, there um, you go. Um, <laughs> but now just RM, Suga uh, and J-Hope. Um, who are kind of 
Well, so Arm is the leader of the group, which is, I feel, kind of a nebulous position because that's not necessarily something that comes through in music. But certainly we know that he has a very strong kind of influence on the group's dynamics and songs. And also it's kind of part of the group's history is that the band basically started with him, that it kind of was constructed around RM and Suga to an extent, I believe. Yeah, I think the other additional important thing is that RM is near fluent in English or pretty much fluent in English. Um, Which, Which, fun fact, he says he learned from watching Friends with his mother. I mean, if there's, that's one way to do it. Yep. <laughs> um, but that also means that as BTS have obtained their, their like public significance, that he's become the face of the group in American media and press. Yeah, it's quite important to know that he's the only fl- uh, completely fluent English speaker in the group. I think it's known that like, a lot of them understand it much better than they can speak it, so they're, but they're a bit hesitant. And he's generally... You know, if you see them performing at the Grammys or at the Billboard or whatever, and they need the kind of like snippets for the for Twitter or whatever, um, he's the one who's going to be speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, ne- next up, Sugar. Yeah. Um, best known as well, best known as Sugar in the group. He's got the solo artist name August D. Mm-hmm. Which is Sugar backward, and then the initials of his hometown, Daegu Town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, oh, again. Uh, RM's also done a lot of solo work. Basically, all of their rap line has done has quite a rich body of solo work at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sugar, like probably my personal favorite of the rappers. Um, uh, yeah, also has a fair amount of success as a uh, producer. Interestingly enough. Um, and then J Hope, who I believe was originally in the group because of his street dancing background and there was very early on in the group some kind of it was up in the air over whether or not he would be trained as a rapper but that's what he eventually ended up doing um he's the one that's always happy (laughs) he's the one who's just like constantly smiling in the group like that's my that's how you identify him I, we can. We are fans as much as anything else. We have our own silly ways of identifying who these people are. And I, and I started with Rapline because rap. Firstly, I'm a huge, uh, enormous fan of BTS Rapline's uh, work, and also they are the easiest three members I think to distinguish within the group. Yep, <laughs> that's they're easy to recognize. Um, um, so yeah, the have... vocal line. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, which... So the vocal line, the oldest member is Jin. Um, mm-hmm. Jin is a 92, what, a 92 kid. So mm-hmm. that does mean that we're approaching the point in his career where he may or may not have to be called up to mandatory military service. The, the, the idea of whether BTS are going to be called up for mandatory military service has been basically a political football for the last like three years. Mm-hmm. Um, last I heard, there was a potential for a delay. So that that might be fun. We're gonna hear a lot more about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kim. Uh, 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 I'm gonna go for his full name, Sojin. Um, again, we are not we are not fluent enough in BTS to just know their like birth names top of our heads as well as their stage names. But we're calling yeah, them their stage names. That's how you can tell we aren't army. We're we're <laughs> fans. We're not army because we're using their stage names and not their real names. Yeah. Um, oh, we'll explain but, what ARMY is. Don't worry about it. 
Yeah. God. Um, so yeah, Jin is like has his reputation as the looks of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, affectionate, affectionately, we have him in the same position. There's a lot of the like tall, lanky members of groups that are like slightly less extraordinarily talented in terms of the musical performance aspect. Still very good. I'm doing no disservice to Jin. He's an exceptionally good singer. Yes. But also like they become known for being the like pretty boys with the like perfect round faces and the, the perfect lips and the, and the perfectly coiffed hair. And like many yeah. members of BTS could do that. Absolutely. But Jin is the one who's like built his reputation as the looker. Yeah. His um, nickname's all... a worldwide Mr. Handsome. Yeah. Oh my God. That was, I think from the Ellen appearance that they made when, um, is it like fake love era? It's probably 2018 or so. I, I believe it was. Yeah. 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 Um, well done, Mr. Handsome. Uh, <laughs> if there's one thing you want to be known as in your career, that's probably one of them. That's it's strong. Then we uh, have uh, V. He of the very distinct visual, pro- uh, very distinct vocal processing, which is one of the main ways by which I identify him. <laughs> it's the way his. Um, we talked about this a bit when we were talking about twice and how yes. uh, members, the way that each member's vocals are produced becomes as much of an identifying characteristic as their position in the lineup is ha- uh, and kind of how they look. And for me, that is actually these kind of distinguishing feature in the group. Which means that I'm really bad at picking them all out if you give me a static photo. I need to be hearing them singing. <laughs> But yeah, V is like notably the one with the like much lower, much more comfortably baritone uh, uh, voice and personal bias. That's, I'm gonna, I'm pretty comfortable saying that. Yeah. Um, and then we get Jimin. Uh, Jimin being one of the other high flying vocalists, as well as like super powerful athletic dancer. I think those are like the things that he stands out is the like piercing top notes and being like an incredible powerful dancer yeah in my head jimin was always uh the the centerpiece dancer with the baby face and then jungkook jungkook golden maknae um the youngest member of the group by a full two years and the one who like has the looks and the vocals and the dance skills like yeah you describe him to me as he's the most anime out of all of them yeah he's the most like (laughs) Uh, he's 100% the protagonist of BTS. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so good. So named because he's a very accomplished dancer. Uh, pretty good at rapping. He's like a good rapper. He just happens to not be in the rap line. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's just good at everything. This a, is the, this is a, the yeah, in, infuriating thing. Yep. That's why he's called the Golden Magne. Magne um, being the term for the youngest person in a given group. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think we've talked about that before, but that is... Yeah, we have. We have. Worth... uh, Worth reiterating. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the boys themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think what's important to say about the story of BTS is that, like, genuinely, they are an underdog success story. Yeah. You know, they started off as basically being the only kind of group of a one-group label that was itself a a very small... been off well uh bang si the uh the ceo of big hit entertainment previously worked at jyp um and kind of left to form his own label and you know for a long time they were struggling um 
Yeah, just for reference, they had a girl group called Glam as one of their first, like, co-signed acts. They did a lot of, like, co-management deals with JYP in the early years of their existence. Mm. And, like, that girl group blew up through some, like, very weird and acrimonious, um, like, blackmail allegations, I think. Mm. So, like, they were on the ropes, basically. Um, Bang Shihyuk had, like, a long-storied career. Like, he basically was the, the guy writing and producing G.O.D., God which is one of the very early um, JYP groups we talked about in the... First the gen, episode. yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much first gen. But given he wanted to run his own thing, he had, again, a number of these... Um, a number of these co-management arrangements with um, JYP and its sub-labels. And eventually found one group to commit to as Big Hit's first solo project, which was BTS. Mm-hmm. Which BTS um, stands for, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but... Bangtan, Bangtan Sonyeondan. Thank you. Uh, which translates to Bulletproof Boy Scouts. Yes. Um, which kind of reflects, I think, their early focus on youth issues. And by youth issues, I mean, like, school-aged teenage issues. Like, that's really yeah. kind of the, the niche they were in. Like, bad boy, the baddest boys in your high school, kind of. Um, their, yeah, their fan base, their fan base is called ARMY, which stands for Adorable Representative MCs for Youth, which again, hooks into that whole Bulletproof Boy Scouts youth theme. Um, but again, fundamentally, they, they just named the, like, they had the, like, semi-military name that they're basically trying to, like, ignore that fact in their current promotions. And then made made their um, fandom name Army. So like, there you can have the like link into all of these like things that they're trying to communicate, but also like it is what it is. Yeah, uh, and the thing that keeps getting brought up over and over again in any kind of like mainstream coverage of BTS's history is that like, oh, they used to sing songs about popping pimples and whatever, and it's like mm, not any particular, not necessarily worse than any contemporary group focusing on a very similar audience and thus theming it was it is it is if you watch it now extremely cringeworthy but I, again <laughs> i don't think they're exceptionally they're not exceptionally guilty of it over and beyond any other group no, but what that yeah. does do is present with us the chance to talk about how they've actually changed because right BTS very clearly had an early era. They had an early era that lasted sort of from their formation in like 2013 mm-hmm. up until um, they made a sort of transition away from being what was very clearly a hip-hop group into after about two years in 2015, they pivoted hard into being a pop group. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a sort of very clear inflection point with firstly the single, I Need You. And then the arrival of what is generally known as the Youth Trilogy, or the Most Beautiful mm-hmm. Moment in Life Trilogy. People call it the Youth Trilogy. Because it's Which is... Because why would you say all the words? <laughs> um, but yeah, a set of three albums, um, which all together... Um, 
again, this is, we get to the K-pop promotion cycle. Two distinct short album releases that were repackaged in a third with another additional lead single. So you end up with maybe like, like 20 tracks and three lead singles out of this period of time. Mm -hmm. Three or five, somewhere in that range. I can't remember. (laughs) I'm just flicking through. I need you. Dope. Save me. Fire. So yeah, five singles over the course of maybe a year or two of promotion, which hard shifted out of a like explicitly like rap focused and explicitly like school aged youth issues focused group. Yeah, if I had to, I've had to do two words, I would have called them schoolboy hip hop. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, And they pivoted hard into like young adult, um, YA in the very explicit sense of like fiction as well as like subject as a genre yeah yeah um pop and like in that switch just like pivoted their entire like audience strategy and approach Mm -hmm. and then again in late 2016 they do it again which is they make another second shift which is away from that like uh that particular like quite yae approach to making pop music into Wings, which is the era that we're talking about, the era that gives us blood, sweat, and tears, and the era mm. that is, how would we characterize it? An era characterized by like dense um, narrative world building. I would have uh, called around. it very Baroque. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, in terms of the styling, it's very detailed and finessed and harking back to like. Um, and not just because they literally like start inserting pieces of baroque organ music in halfway through their MVs, <laughs> yeah. but like that kind of like extremely ornate. I one would dare call it overwrought, especially compared to the earlier, relatively more minimalist style, minimalist styling for the youth trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. But the wing wings is like very sumptuous, very mm-hmm. detailed, and uh, certainly the songs we 
certainly Blood, Sweat and Tears has that very dramatic um, and kind of almost like maximalist. Yeah, I'd call it romantic even. Like romantic in the the genre sense, again, not just the subject matter sense. That Mm -hmm. like got that like passionate unlike like yeah the belief about the like deep relationship between the way the world works and human emotion and expression and that like that feels like the mode in which they're like trying to do their storytelling right a little quick note um bts fans often talk about the band in terms of eras which are uh correspond basically to a certain kind of release arc. This will become really important for BTS in particular, uh, which we'll go into more as we progress. But um, generally speaking, the different eras of BTS are basically the title by which a bunch of releases are organized. So we talk about the youth trilogy um, or the most beautiful moments in life parts one two and then the 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 repack because they are literally called in english the most beautiful moment in life part one the most beautiful moment in life part two and then the uh i think it's like the most beautiful moment in life youth uh young forever that's the subtitle young forever right and then the next era we call wings because the album was called wings and the repackage was you never walk alone sometimes they were called different then you get what we call the map of the soul era because it was three albums all of which was map of the soul x oh wait, no, yeah. it was the love yourself love, your, love yourself is the the initial yeah, yeah sorry. if bts has four eras once it sort of comes out of its hip-hop cocoon uh <laughs> youth trilogy uh wings followed up by love yourself with three records love yourself her right, and- tear and answer yep and then the most recent one that we're like in the middle of is map of the soul yeah sorry which is persona persona in seven think yeah uh persona seven and then there's the japanese release which is seven the journey but it's basically just seven anyway all this is to say that like basically if you get a uh uh, a chronological list of bts's output the eras make sense because that's just the names of the albums yeah and most significantly like that is actually going to tell you quite a lot about the like aesthetic world and um uh the like like the the narrative arc contained within the like year or two years worth of promotion that's happening at any given point in time also when we say narrative arc for bts we are not exaggerating there are narrative arcs again (laughs) you'll see you'll see indeed also bts is wings is bts's big era come at me yeah (laughs) i think Um... i think we we do keep constantly shuffling between the two of us, like whether Wings was better or whether Love Yourself Tear is better, because Love Yourself Tear has some like really strong contenders. Yeah, is, I think Wings as is an solid. album, as oh my god, as an album for me, I might take Tear, mm. but as an era, definitely Wings as an overall era. Yeah, but I mean, this is like you start knowing, getting a feel for the albums as a whole, and you start like having these arguments, and all of a sudden you're creating a Twitter account. And following 500 accounts, which is just going to post pictures of Jimin's butt. Um, and you're, you're in, you're in now, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so that's a good weekend well spent. <laughs> you don't want to see um, my Twitter notifications. Right, so you don't want to see my YouTube search history either. 
Um, speaking of, I think but there's a lot to talk about and there's a lot I want to say, but I think as a way to ground that discussion, we should probably talk about... Let's, let's start by talking about the song Blood, Sweat, and Tears itself, because I think, like, that's going to be a good touch point. And also, this is how you made me listen to Justin Bieber in 2020. Uh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah, Blood, Sweat, and Tears is the first single in the Wings era. It comes off the back of a quite extensive promotion cycle that teases a lot of the album tracks. But Blood, Sweat, and Tears is, like, the big statement piece. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's also, like, why is this the lynch point? Why is this the point that we've decided it's important to talk about BTS? As opposed to any of the others. Um, if you go back to um, I Need You and some of those, like, early, like, moves towards pop, there are, like, clearly big things going on. But really, firstly, like, the, the scheme for what BTS want to do in pop music is, like, crystallized by the time we get to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. The narrative work that they're trying to do is crystallized by the time we get to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. We'll talk about that when we talk about the video, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But most specifically, I think the, um, the, like, the scale of ambition, uh, the relationship to American pop music, and the sales mm-hmm. hit, a, like, hit a stratospheric level that isn't matched by the stuff before it at Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And that, like, as a combination, means that I think it's the right place to come in. Also, it's a banger. Yeah! So when we talk about Blood, Sweat, and Tears, it's a fucking great track. Oh my god. god. It's so good. <sighs> ah! Okay. So yeah, um, now that all the just the... It's fun because I don't think we've actually recorded our reaction to a song like that before. Yeah, exactly. We, we can get the screaming out of our system so we can talk about what it is. Um, mm. Blood, Sweat, and Tears is like a straightforward pop song it is low mid tempo i think 110 100 bpm somewhere in that range if i remember correctly it is a reggaeton track we've talked about reggaeton in previous bits particularly with come back home and there's going to be a lot of like echoes back to come back home if we dig through what this track is up to Mm. um it's not reggae we've discarded that we've moved past the need for reggae the world has moved past the need for reggae (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what it is, is it has the incredibly distinctive um, drum beat. uh, uh, Exactly. Uh, The the clave, that's the word I'm groping for. Um, Mm. Which is exactly as Claudia did. Um, And like, as soon as you get to the track's drum beat, which you will after the very short intro... You will hear that drum beat, and that's the like distinctive thing that like structures this track. It's a it's a reggaeton beat track. Um, and within that is just like all the things that we've been talking about through like how do you create harmonic interest, how do you create pace and tension with like pop songs that are still like comfortable like one of the best ways to do it is that kind of syncopation and blood sweat and tears is like just some of the catchiest hooks that i've ever heard in k-pop yeah um and i just want to run through them basically so um the the, the genius of this track is in how it layers those melodies and how those melodies are just like some of the best melodies i've ever heard um and again this is 
in Counterpart, both because they're so like uh, syncopated and hooky, as well as because they're just like performed incredibly and they're beautifully written. Uh, so melody, rhythm, in, in beautiful uh, synchronicity, producing one of the best pop tracks ever. Um, I'm, I'm just flat out saying that because I think it's that good. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing that we keep coming back to with K-pop. Like one of the distinctive things, as opposed to American pop music, is that you don't just have like one or two melodies. You have four, five, six, seven that all fit together in important ways that interlock and create additional complexity through their, through how they relate to each other. And this is like the thing that, that Blood, Sweat and Tears does, is just keep producing melodies and layering them on top of each other for added effect. So as we go through the track, we're introduced with the, um, with uh, Jimin singing the, uh, the, the first hook line of the track. Mm-hmm. Which is literally, by the way, by Blood, Sweat and Tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and then the vocalists trade back and forth with that part. And then what happens is we get this sort of like fast drop. This fast drop where we get the point choreography, we get the like big explosion of sound and color and noise in the music video. Um, and we get that, that like central drum rhythm and we get this like baby voice synth lead part again. It's so like a couple of things about this before we just like head off. Mm-hmm. It's just like a beautifully constructed phrase, a phrase that, changes in its second evolution, repeats itself, all the sort of like standard things that I mean it's gonna bury into your skull. Tumbra is an interesting one because most like most of the time in pop music, particularly in K-pop, it's been so heavily indebted to um uh whatchamacallit? To electronic music of various kinds, particularly to that like wave of EDM and that sort of like structured how you could make pop music. And the pop music could suddenly like grab from this big toolbox of like splashy synths and big raw searing bass lines and all that and use that to construct its, its sound well. And then one of the evolutions that have been made from pop music internally over the last four or five years is using voices as synth timbre. Um, mm. And there's something about human ears, no one really knows what it is, that just really loves the sound of listening to voices and really loves the uncanniness of listening to voices do unhuman things. Humans, we love the sound of ourselves. <laughs> That's true. But it's true. It's, it's you know, the uh, I'm sure you will have heard if you have picked up or, you know, been in a supermarket at all, listened to the radio, that there is a propensity for distorted human voices uh, as part of the kind of sound backstage, whether that's like distorted down or up. And it's an interesting sound. Yeah, and this is like a centerpiece here is like we've had fast lead line, but like the thing that hits the like initial, like big, exciting, climactic moment at the start of this track isn't singing, it's synthetic voice, which I just think is really cool. And it sets the template for we get the opportunity to build upon this over and over again through the track. Um, so yeah, um, I think it's at this point where I get to talk about um, other tracks that do similar things. 
And this is the point at which I said, this is why I had Claudia listening to Justin Bieber in 2020. <sighs> which, which is, we go back to Justin Bieber's, I think, is it 2015 hit? Um, uh, let's have a look-see. Did I yes. get that right? Yes. Yeah, Justin Bieber's 2015 hit, Sorry. Um, and again, this sort of like crew of producers is very important, which is like particularly Diplo and Skrillex. Those are the two names that we're going to uh, like sort of figure to like structure how this works. Um, Diplo is someone we've talked about before. We've talked about other ways in which reggaeton has been assimilated into pop music, particularly like mm -hmm. any way that other like Latin pop and um, like non-Western in inverted commas rhythms have ended up in pop music. And Diplo is a huge figure for this. He was half of the duo Major Lazer who produced uh, Lean On, which is another track we talked about for that sort of like subdued pop music, that like wave of pop music that is like built around anti-climaxes, as well as those integration of Latin pop rhythms. We've also touched upon Major Lazer since, like, I want to say our third episode. Yeah, it, it, it just sort of been a fairly present in the background for just, like, setting a template for, like, how do you get cool rhythms and particularly understated cool rhythms into pop music. Mm -hmm. The second part is Skrillex, who is, I'm not going to say single-handedly responsible, but one of the big sources of um, getting those baby voice synths, synth sounds into pop music. And, like, one of the big arrivals of this was Justin Bieber's track, Sorry. So, Sorry is co-produced by Blood, one of the aliases of Blood Pop, um, a guy best known for his uh, recent, uh, recent work on the Lady Gaga album, uh, Chromatica, and Skrillex, the guy we've just been talking about. Um, and it is, very explicitly, a uh, reggaeton track with that distinctive beat, with the distinctive clave, and then its chorus is like having had the sort of vocal-led pre-chorus, it drops the vocals out and just uses them very occasionally and leads with that baby voice synth, that affected vocal timbre as a synthesizer. And this is like kind of the playbook that BTS is employing. Um, it's choruses that don't necessarily need to be led by high-flying vocals. Uh, like, I'd say what you want about Justin Bieber. He could do those vocal parts if he really wanted to. He could write this big exploratory high-flying top line. And he hasn't because the song works with the hook essentially being vocal synth rather than song lines. Mm. The same, same thing is happening here with the BTS track where, again, reggaeton uh, rhythmic bass and the, the like, initial hook is that, um, that synthesizer. So, like, perfect points of comparison, like, Sorry versus Blood, Sweat and Tears, and, like, doing similar things with their, with their raw material. So the thing that Blood, Sweat and Tears does is then keep 
adding more and more up until the point in which you've got like three other distinctive melodies all being laid on top. So we have in the track, and going back to the track, and I'll run through it. We have a couple of um, rap verses. I love their vocal timbre. I think it's just incredible and really beautiful. Um, and eventually at one minute five, one minute 10, we get back to the pre-chorus, uh, which introduced the track. And we finally hit the first chorus proper. And this time we have a vocal lead. It's just that instead of a high-flying vocal lead, we have, uh, in this case, J-Hope, like belting, shouting, and auto-tuned one of money, money. want so many things competing with each other like competing with each other bouncing off each other but all of which are going to stick in your brain really effectively um and this is the thing that you just want the fans screaming back at the stage of the light at the live show yeah uh one money money is i want you so much i want you a lot Oh, yeah, the, in the various official translations I've seen on their YouTube stuff, it's translated as, I want it more, more, more. Ah, fair. So different yeah. senses, the different translations will give yeah, you. Yeah, But you, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, but again, this is the thing you can do when you start layering these, these lines over each other, is that you start to have additional things to bounce the rest of the track off. And here's where we've got to start talking about the choreography. Mm-hmm. So if you... If you start getting to um, one minute thirty, maybe or so in the video. No, nope. uh, you want to do the dance practice video for a reference. Yep. That makes more yes. sense, I think. Dance. Um, yeah, um, we'll come to exactly what they're doing in the actual music video in a bit. But yes. But it's pretty famous. About twenty seconds in, is when they spring in and out of that formation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the thing that happens here is that all of a sudden, having had this very slow rhythm to the choreography in the first chorus, while it was just over the instrumental, basically the vocal sets the tempo for the choreography in the second chorus. And basically, like, people are reacting and bouncing off Sugar and then later Via and whoever else's vocal part. But essentially, visually, the pre-chorus is characterized by, like, fairly tight, formations really uh and then as soon as it hits the chorus there's this immediate explosion of all of the members outwards to expand as much space as possible yeah. they actually almost take up the entire width of the practice room and yeah. then come in and out and in and out and it's incredibly athletic um yeah this is one of the like distinctive yeah. features of bts's choreography is the ability to like have these just tons of particularly athleticism just to like explode visually outwards and like this is the cue to do it is like the jump upwards comes on the uh, uh, one in money money ah. Um, that's the moment they jump up, and then slowly over the next like progression of the sequence um, is when they like expand the formation to the to the V, um, and then again when you hear uh, one in money 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 to the beat is where you get the iconic point choreography with the the hands coming across the eyes. 
the, the, the knees bouncing inwards and the hands to the inner thigh striking upwards, which is like one of the hottest and- Crush grab. Yeah. One of the hottest, best bits of single choreography there have ever been, frankly. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's got to that point of being uh, that iconic and powerful. Um, mm-hmm. It really is that good. But again, this is the thing, is in like, the thing that contours this whole track is the ability to use these multiple melody lines and these like crescendos of parts and their interplay to structure the whole thing. And it becomes this incredibly elaborate, I say incredibly elaborate. It's still not a hugely like technically complex track, but it's just jigsaw together so perfectly as this like incredible like system of vocal performance, stage presence and choreography. Yeah, for all that we said, we like um, K-pop that does these like really fascinating uh, different chord progressions and key swaps and uh, uh, various use of modified scales. Uh, this one, and I'm reading off your notes, is mm. normally pretty simple. There's one chord yeah. progression if I you mean, exclude yeah. the bridge. Yeah, there's a bridge, there's a middle eight section, which has some fanciful uh, harmony stuff, some like proper R&B stuff in inverted commas. But the rest of it is just uh, root minor, flat seven, flat six. Flat seven, root minor. It's that over and over again, over and over again. It's the entire track's harmony, um, which is fine because it's enough to just create a bunch of different melody lines, which is what structures the entire track and the like instruments dropping in and out, the melody lines dropping in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we get um, second set of verses, um, uh, second pre-chorus. And then the second chorus is again all about that like like in when the first one was like slightly more formation based, this one is just explosive. You get the members like flying to the sides of the room and back again. Um, yeah. And yeah, again, some just the the like legs crossed jump in the middle of that chorus uh, between the two halves of it is just one of the most incredible athletic moves that I've seen in K-pop ever, frankly. And it, it just keeps astounding me every time I see it and they nail it every single time. Yeah. Um, and that again, transitioning between that and the very like slower, sensual, obviously more... Um, sexy moves, just like arms sliding, and they'd like move back and forth between power, athleticism, and like body control. It's just stunning to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing we've yeah. been very carefully avoiding talking about this whole time is the music video, though. And this is funny because yeah. that's usually where we start, or at least we spend a long time on it. I mean, this is the thing. This is one of those music videos where, like, we could have done the the comeback home thing of, like, there's narrative stuff going in here. We need to start with the narrative. Mm-hmm. Although there isn't plot, per se. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a complex one where they're trading off each other, so obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, like, track itself, um, the end of the track just plays out. In the music video, there's a straight-up interlude for just narrative stuff to happen. Yep. At about this point in the track. So, like, yeah, it immediately becomes a whole lot more complex to talk about 
the track that is Blood, Sweat and Tears, given that like how you un- like listen to it or hear it or watch it is going to be so radically different from place to place. And it's funny because we actually talked about this and I think we, or at least you certainly prefer the music video version of the track because, yeah, because yeah. of that interlude. And what it does, and what it does to kind of delay that sense of anticipation for the final uh, chorus and outro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, this is about the time where we have to talk about this music video, right? I love it because it's fucking turbo symbolism. Yeah, it's... It's fun. (laughs) You heard of a symbol? You heard of a symbolism? Um, I'm I'm reminded of... Yeah. Sorry, I'm just reminded of, like, being 15 in, like my like school English class when like you've been handed this list of like well what are those like um, literary techniques you could be on the lookout for in the in the book you're studying and like everyone in England studies. What's the metaphor? Yeah exactly and like on there is like imagery and the idea is that like people use imagery they use like visual arrangements or like descriptions of art or descriptions of the visual landscape in order to communicate not just I like objective descriptions, but also to communicate ideas and maybe themes. <laughs> and this feels like one of those music videos where I just like, what's going on? Well, there's certainly some imagery. <laughs> Look, if you if you think we're trying to, this is a roundabout way of saying talking about BTS, uh, blood, sweat, and tears is a excellent way to teach people how to engage in uh, what looking for imagery is and what imagery. Means, yeah, this is in fact an excellent exercise in what imagery do and why is it here? Yeah, because fundamentally, like, the problem with the every, that everyone had age 15 was like, well, yeah, of course it's a fucking image. What does that do? What does that mean? Um, <laughs> of course there are metaphors. What's the fucking point of them? Um, right. And Blood, Sweat and Tears is, again, as we've talked about with music videos in so many different ways, like, you don't often rely on, like, language or rely on explicit like causal relationships in narrative to like tell your story in a music video like most often it's like illusory or by association and montage all these sorts of effects that you just like place images next to to each other using editing or like visual like visual shorthands of various kinds in order to communicate stuff that you simply can't because there's no like explicit language doing the storytelling for you yep um this is a slightly different one in that, like, yeah, okay, there's a tiny bit of, like, actual language storytelling. But still, mostly, this is, like, a vast amount of stuff that's all meant to be, like, illusory and done by, like, um, <laughs> association and proximity and um, the, comp- uh, the composition effects of, like, the visual arrangements and the uh, like, content of those visuals. Kuleshov would be proud. Kuleshov would indeed be proud. The Kuleshov effect, by the way, is... Uh, <laughs> it, it, it basically refers to the effect of where, like... It's what montages do to you. It's the idea that if you place two images one after the other, the interaction between the two of them gives the viewer more than just seeing them separately. Um, I believe one of the classic examples that Hitchcock did was, like, you have a, a, a image of... Well, he used himself. Uh, but if you don't know who Hitchcock is, because I, I, I guess... <laughs> Maybe we have some 15-year-old listeners. That's not out of the realms. Maybe. Um, okay, look. 
classic example is like a, an older man who's squinting, and then there's the image of a, uh, a, a, a little kid having fun, and then it cuts back to a shot of the same old man smiling. What is the effect of that? Oh, he's a kind old man who's happy because he sees a child being happy. If you then take exactly the same shot of the old man squinting, replace the image of the baby with like uh, a, a, a young girl in a bikini, and then he's smiling again, same shot. What is the effect? He's a dirty old pervert. So it's the, 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 the sequential shots, like the shots haven't changed, but it's because of the relationship between the content because of how they're arranged and how they're presented to you, that changes how you understand what you're seeing. This is relevant because we said this in um, one of these nights for Red Velvet that a lot of K-pop music videos is just turbo simple. It's just they're firing images at you one after the other. And I don't mean this to be derisive. This is like a legitimate no, technique. I don't, I don't even know whether symbolism is the right way of talking about it. Because like symbolism no. implies that like there is visual shorthand for other like there's like a sort of meta language that you're like hooking onto with symbols. There's like, you know yeah. what we mean when we present you with like in the red velvet case, like a portcullis window or a ladder. And, like, the point is you don't. You simply do not. Like, it Yeah, is it really just... is just a series of images that have been rapid-fired yeah, at you with this music over the top to create a very specific uh, sonic world and an emotional atmosphere yeah. and so on and so forth. And the point is that there are associations. It's just they're not internal to the system. They're, like, to do with what, what other narrative pieces right. are BTS bringing? What other narrative devices do you bring just by being a consumer of culture more widely? And that's how you build up, like, the meaning of a video like this, where there's, like, next to no explicit content, but there's a hell of a lot going on to, like, make it all meaningful in a, in a total sense. So if I told you that this music video was basically set in a lavish European museum slash art gallery manner, and also maybe Jin's a fallen angel... <sighs> Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Like, that's... Maybe V is, like, the dead god devil? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Yeah. So, I think the, the other point here is just, like, in terms of what you do with the resources available, um, remember when we talked about uh, Nobody being an entirely long music video because they spent a lot of time doing narrative bullshit that really didn't need to be there? And trying to have a story, like a plot. Yeah. Uh, that's a, a uh, nobody is a three minutes, 33 second song. And the music video is six minutes and 18 seconds. For which we gave them a lot of grief. Yeah. Blood, Sweat and Tears is a three minutes and 37 second song. And the music video is six minutes and three seconds. So, so basically still, almost yeah. the same. Yeah. We're, we're adding on a similar like two minutes and 20 seconds of just like Storytelling, non-track stuff of various mm. kinds. Like anything that's not the big hit entertainment sting at the very intro is like doing stuff with uh, like other bits of music and other bits of visual, uh, uh, like visual language that just, there's nothing to do with Blood, Sweat and Tears, the song. But mm. like, whereas in Nobody, we, we were just like, this is ludicrous. How did you dare consider this a good idea? Blood, Sweat and Tears, it's literally all about that stuff or how it makes the track meaningful. Yep. Right, and because, like, here's the kicker, and I think this is what, this is the thing that sets BTS apart from a lot of other groups and bands, not just in K-pop, but just kind of globally, is uh, 
when we say that the the other the extra two and a half minutes are set aside for narrative stuff, we don't mean in the context of this music video. We mean in the context of a wider, almost soap opera esque, long running plot line with seven characters played by the band members, yeah, which is collectively it's... referred to as the BTS universe. BTS has lore, BTS has narr- like competing timelines, it has inter- like interspersed media f- that goes back the full right. five years of their pop transition. Well, we has... like super buried the lead, but like BTS Universe is, I think, the pinnacle of the turnaround from schoolboy hip hop pre uh, youth trilogy into who they are now. Yeah, exactly. And the ability to play into that is like exactly like it's the content of what makes all the like metaphorical imagery stuff in about commas like powerful to us as fans yeah so i'm gonna take a run-up at explaining the bts universe do feel free to jump in so the dry Uh, uh, sorry just before i like yeah go. do we want to do the like what's happening in the music video first or do we want to do the what's happening in the universe first let me lay out the premise of what the universe is and we can talk about what how this music video contributes to it yes done okay so the idea of the bts universe is that it is the story of seven boys who are best friends and then something goes wrong in their lives and they are given the opportunity to fix it yes this is a young adult time travel premise um and i say young adult because it is and i've been reading a lot of fanfic lately so forgive me if the genre names intertwine but there's a lot of there you know it deals with a lot of really heavy themes um bts universe touches upon a lot of things like i i would say what you might call quote-unquote standard young adult fair love first love uh friendship what it means to transition out of the strict, like the, the structure of high school into this uncertain future where you are nominally an adult but don't yet know what path you'll be on, and this idea of like brotherhood and friendship in this core of friends. But it also talks about things like domestic abuse, violent domestic abuse, and suicide, and depression, and, uh, you know, criminality as a way of surviving, um, and all of that stuff. And it gets... It gets really, really dark. Mm. Uh, real fast. Um, but that is the core of the premise of the BTS universe as laid out around that youth trilogy era. And it's a story that's not just told in uh, uh, music. It's, all, it's, it's, you know, part of those interludes in the music videos continue that story. But the, like, short films that they release as teasers for upcoming uh, albums and comebacks are a part of the BTS universe story. Certain snippets of the music videos, not the whole thing, just some bits that sometimes they bookend them, sometimes they're inserts in the middle of them, are part of the BTS universe. There was a long-running web comic that expanded hugely on the BTS universe. Album liner notes have been part of BTS universe. There's been at least two books. Uh, and there are, I believe there's a news that there is a full-on TV drama in production that's going to be set in the BTS universe. And it is important to note that throughout Sorry, this entire... Th- there's also yeah. the, like, narrative... Oh, the video games. Gat- narrative slash gacha video game? 
that's going to be yeah. The, the narrative slash gacha video game. There are also alternate universe blogs and social media accounts. Yeah. God. So it is almost every form of media you could possibly imagine forms a part of the BTS universe. And throughout all of this, the seven boys, the central characters played by the band members, are characters that just use their real names. Uh, it's, as opposed not, to it's not Sugar, it's Yoongi, etc., etc. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, hence, you can tell we're not... F- and for me, the distinction between a BTS fan and, a, and ARMY is and this is just a personal distinction, is for... The reason why I call myself a fan and not ARMY is that I don't engage with the BTS universe media. I really only engage with them on the level of song and music video, and that is not the totality of what BTS has to offer, incredibly yeah. enough, because the music is really good. <laughs> yeah, and right. I, I could absolutely imagine people talking about, like, you can absolutely be army without ever really getting into the the like fandom aspects of it in about commas. Sorry, by fa- fandom aspects beyond the music, I mean the, the like extended universe, the um, like other platforms and other mediums of engagement. At the same time, it's like we mean it to say that like something is really distinctive about what BTS have done and captured here. It's not just that like they have attempted to do something that's narrative. It's that like. The narrative is central and really popular and really, like, powerful at getting fans to engage with them. Like, of course, you can just listen to the music and that's cool. And many people just do. It's just that, like, if we're talking about what makes BTS distinctive, this is where it is. Right. And, like, you know, part of the fact that they're, uh, that they're, their story is an underdog story is that I think they fall into the same kind of in attempts to explain how BTS have become who they are and what they are, there is a, I think, one tendency to, A, want to ascribe their success to something intrinsic, essential, and unique to the band themselves. And I don't think that's true. I think that you can see elements of the BTS universe or this kind of, like, enormous multimedia narrative project. It is similar, in a sense, to what other bands do. And the point of comparison we would pull up here is uh, EXO. Both in, in, in terms of, like, Again, this was a very well-resourced label's attempt to manufacture an enormous international pop hit, uh, which worked. Um, And that they have that similar... Well, they had initially that similar idea that, oh, each boy, each of the the members of the the bands, each of the boys has this superpower around which they're themed, and that's how they're presented in their music videos. Um, Their very first... uh, was Mama their debut? Mama was their debut, right? Yeah, Mama was debut. Right, EXO's Mama, their debut song, begins with a, we called it, knockoff Avatar The Last Airbender intro. Yeah, God. <laughs> About, like, how the lands were in harmony uh, and this mystical past and then these 12 forces in harmony, you know, one for each member of EXO uh, and how it's all been shattered and we're telling this cosmic story of... of, of balance and power in this like epic story and narrative when the skies and the grounds were one the legends through their 12 forces nurtured the tree of life but i red force created the evil which coveted the heart of tree of life and the heart slowly grew dry to attend and embrace the heart of tree of life The legends hereby divide the tree in half. 
The funny thing is, while elements of that have been retained up until now, even, like, that went nowhere. The very next release, that story didn't continue because it wasn't really a story, it was just an idea. It was an idea hook. I bring up EXO because EXO were also the kings at the top of the chart that BTS kind of pushed off that pedestal. Um, It's fascinating to see the, like... It's almost weird to call it lack of commitment that SM had with EXO's attempt at doing it, but I think it's exactly right that, like... uh, the they because it's it a, a s- weird and esoteric and a huge risk. Yeah, exactly. That like it might work functionally as like a hook to like entice people in that like you can put in the marketing blurb and like show to be something strange that you can pour money and budget into. But like fundamentally, what they wanted was a boy group. They didn't yeah. actually want to sustain. Like again, going back all the way to episode one, where I talked about like what's the thing that I want to pull out is like where has the work gone. And the work with BTS isn't just to like, um, well, so the, supposedly, uh, sorry, by by mirror image, the work with EXO was not in order to create like narrative for the sake of the narrative and that the, the fans might relate through the narrative. The, the work was to like, okay, we want a boy group. What's the best way to market it? Whereas BTS's like intention quite clearly, as soon as they realized what they were onto, was to like put work into in order to create a distinctive way for fans to relate to them through their extended universe, through the BTS universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like I said, the idea is not necessarily outlandish. Like the idea of coming up with a overarching meta narrative for a particular comeback or release to which the fans can relate in a new way that showcases some new aspect of your performers um a new aesthetic a new look a new sound which makes sense considering the like constantly evolving sound of k-pop as we said that has been done before but doing it like this with this with kind of going like we're going to do all those things but also it's all going to relate to each other for the foreseeable future. That's, that is different. That forms a kind of continuity that I think is distinct to BTS, but not necessarily unique if you see what the mm-hmm. distinction is. It's not, this yeah. idea did not spring out of the ether. Yeah, and like... The, there, are, there was precedent. And yeah, and, we, and we've seen bits of it with like, firstly, why is the fact that exo, the exotact we talked about monster, where we had to like, well, why exactly are the police coming to capture them? Um, and we couldn't give you an answer, but what we could talk about was one of the best constructed pop tracks of the decade. And with Come Back Home, it was like, well, what's this doing in terms of the, like, um, the development of K-pop as this genre that, like, wants to pour money and effort and time into these, like, extravagant explosions of like competing artistic visions and like what you got out of that was like k-pop the business is running up against k-pop the artistic ambition um uh, with like two music videos being intercut into one and two competing sounds being thrown at each other incoherently and like i say incoherently as if that's a bad thing we go back and listen to that episode of course we love that track um (laughs) but this is the point bts has found a different kind of synthesis where like well, if we have the budget, why don't we deploy it over time intentionally? If we have the, like, pop writing tools, why don't we craft them in a way that synthesizes our, our like, 
desire to have this massive successful pop group with our desire to like create the coherent long-term narrative for our artists together. And but here's the, the here's the fun other aspect of BTS that I think again their our desire to slam them into the underdog story mold uh, obscures is that uh, some certain retellings of BTS make it seem inevitable that they dominated. Uh, usually, uh, and the cause is usually pinned on one of those aforementioned unique essential factors to BTS. We want to reiterate, like, just how precarious their position was. They were on the ropes for so much of their career. Um, yeah, and, like, you don't you don't make those pivots in the first place if you don't have, like, massive need to do so. Right, we were going to say that, like, yeah, now they have the money and the investment to create all these short films, teasers, TV dramas, games, novels, etc. set in the BTS universe. When they first set out to do it, and I think this is a large part, uh, and personally, I think this explains the extent to which they kind of stuck with it, especially early on, is that they didn't have a choice to back out of it. Like, this was, this was or it, to me in 2020, feels like, like a, okay, we're going to pour everything we have to it into this, and we're going to commit. Um, and there's a level of, right, as I say, commitment to that aspect, that, because having chosen this direction, they don't have the resources where they can easily pull uh, out of it and, and change course and change direction. With EXO, you have this uh, Titan SM backing them. If the superhero thing doesn't work, that's fine. They can rebrand, they can change their image. BTS, at that time when they chose to do it, couldn't. They didn't have the money for it. It is, well, it is I believe, part of the fandom understanding that they ran out of money halfway through one of their music video shoots at that point and uh to some extent obviously no longer but like the reason why the group is known for producing their own work writing their own songs doing their own choreography is partly because it was expensive to hire people for it only partly i will say because the machine is still the machine yeah i mean like you exactly and like this is the thing this is what happens when again different ways in which k-pop the industry runs up against k-pop the artistic endeavor where like Big Hit is a label and um, uh, Bagshi Hyuk is an individual are like still very much within the like apparatus of K-pop as an industry. This isn't some like complete no name from nowhere without any understanding of what he's trying to do and what and um, how the industry works. It's very much internal, but it's also like the constraints breed like a different approaches and different tactics to how to deal with it. And that fundamentally, like, I don't think when we say there's nothing essential to BTS that um, caused their success, many other different groups have tried things like it. And not only that, like, I don't think BTS could have ever guaranteed that the thing they did could have ever caused... Well, fundamentally, like, the thing that ensured um, BTS' success is generating a massive, organically growing fan base that related to them on an in intense and deep level in a way that hadn't been replicated pretty much ever by any artistic or pop group at all. And you can't, like, expect that even as we talk about, like, ah, oh, look how inventive the BTS universe is. Like, mm -hmm. nothing about the BTS universe would tell you that that's how it's supposed to happen. But you can draw the parallels to, like, massive fan fiction that grows out of Twilight, say, or mm -hmm. massive, like, investment in 
other kinds of K-pop artists who have, if not the same kind of like explicit narrative building, but other kinds of mythology, EXO included. And right. that like, we draw, again, like, it simply cannot be the case where like, BTS sat down and figured out, ah, uh, this will get us fans. What they can say is like, well, ultimately how it turned out was the weird scramble for new tactics and audiences um, and how to reach them um, ended up producing one of the most incredible self-perpetuating like machines of fan engagement. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I compared it to a soap is that there's a lot there that we were kind of thinking, how do you... Because, like, I'm... The, the, the content of the BTS universe, the, the storylines and the plots and sort of what's happening is very... They're very conventional for the genre, I will say. Um, they're very tropey. They're very... You know, like, if you've seen a story on those lines of, like friendships drifting apart and then dealing with you know heavy uh subjects of kind of trauma and loss and how you know what brings one out of those things and what gives one the motivation to move on is friendship brotherhood love in that kind of in that particular sense is is not a groundbreakingly new retelling of those stories but they are incredibly dense and deep and because it is a story that is told a lot across a lot of genres and a lot of uh, periods of literary history there's a lot to mine there we said I called this uh, 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 blood, sweat, and tears very baroque and ornate and intricate, and to uh, and to a degree that actually really extends out to the BTS universe itself. It's fun to engage with. And I called it a soap because it is long running, and there's a lot there as a new viewer. If you decide to jump in, it's fun to engage with because there's just so much there <laughs> for you to play with. Um, and I think it's not. Uh, Superficial is a loaded term, um, but we it's kind of like in, in the in the manner of long running web serials, I don't think you can peg what's happening in the BTS universe to a single coherent directorial or authorial vision that has a definitive endpoint and very definitive that has planned this whole thing out. But because of its long-running serialized nature, the, the, the fact that it's been going for years and the fact that new content is drip-fed out in so many different places and that the kind of uh, reaction to the work and the, the, the releasing of new work is happening kind of side by side uh, means that it lets you actually integrate a lot of people's theories and a lot of speculation and course-correct to a degree that makes it seem as if there are layers and layers and layers of self-reference. Well, I mean, makes it seem as if there's layers of self-reference because there are layers of self-reference. It lets you weave back in uh, aspects and elements that make it seem as if there's, there's this huge, intricate planned work when, in fact, you may be flying by the seat of your pants. 
Um, again, this is not unique to the BTS universe. This is something you see in a lot of kind of serialized fiction of its nature, but it is fascinating to see it in the context of like something that sprung up around the pop industry and to see it happen across so many, so many different mediums. Um, what I'm saying is that if you are a person who likes the music is you know somewhat invested in the band and happens to have a lot of free time and a mobile phone aka their target audience you can spend many happy happy months if not years engaging with that bts universe that's what it's there to do it's to it's a fascinating space to play in um and i think it's having that that forms a very interesting relationship between ARMY, between the fans who consume this music and the artists themselves, as well as obviously the work. And I think that's a lot of where this... One of the, one of the things that's commonly reiterated about the band is that they have very hard-hitting lyrics about youth anxieties and mental illness and... so and. Uh, what are one of the other ones? Somehow it's evaporated from my brain. Um, uh, oh, that they're influenced by all of these kind of like incredible uh, classic pieces of Western literature and work. And I read the spark notes for Herman Hesse's Demian for this. Um, <laughs> there you go. But like, and 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 somehow it's more special because they write their own lyrics and because they're telling their stories and like all of this is true none of this is unique to them uh not even in the context of mainstream k-pop like we talked about self uh one of red velvet songs becoming the de facto soul fairy incident song and like there are avenues by which artists even in the most mainstream and most controlling of uh, record labels have avenues by which they can express those things um, certainly uh, Jonghyun of you know shiny fame that was one of the things for which he was very well known um, and that's something we hope to get into in the future with a lot of output from some of our favorite soloists I'm saying BTS isn't being particularly deep um isn't being unique in the way that they explore these themes. But I think what makes them unique is that they make do this exploration in the context of such an intimate relationship between their fans and them. And I think that's what makes it feel so relatable and so hard-hitting. They also do do it, you know, fairly consistently, I'll say, but like that's also not necessarily true if you look at their latest output. Oh yeah, yeah, like they've <laughs> that we're in the, the middle of a period where BTS has just had a single at the top of the US Billboard charts for two weeks, it's sitting in number two behind <laughs> Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's uh, WAP right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's a track that's the first time in their entire career, having spent so much of it becoming the group that is in the American spotlight. It's the first time in their career that they produced an English language single. Um, and clearly it's riotously successful like extraordinarily successful um 
and like extraordinarily successful for any pop act, never mind a K-pop act that has that to escape the barriers of like language and industry. Um, that track obviously has nothing to connect it directly to the BTS universe at all. Um, it is in tone and in visual style and in um, like uh, <laughs> like explicit connection, not at all there. It's just that like um, once you've got, the, got to the point at which your uh, your huge audience is like desperate for any way to like have ordinary contact with you, not even the fact that like you can generate this contact, this 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 mill of fanfic style extended universe theorizing and playing and entertaining just grows endlessly as the the like the the secondary social media accounts and the like third party games get made. Uh, at the same time as, like, just fans want to see their idols do cool shit on live TV. They want to see mm-hmm. cool new music. And, that like, the connection doesn't necessarily need to be there. At the same time as, like, very clearly in Blood, Sweat and Tears and Fake Love and to some degree tracks like DNA and Black Swan, it has been continued in spirit in their mainline Korean releases. It's by no means necessary. And BTS could be perfectly good if they just say, like, right, we're in a new era. And we don't need to deal with this anymore. And I mean, honestly, to an extent, Universe is a separate thing from BTS the band at this point. Yeah, exactly. And it's become separated because they have grown out the shadow of needing to like be in the state of their career of like finding and ge- organically generating new fans for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're in a stage where they're like, nope, they're the biggest boy group in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, they can get their tracks at the top of the US charts, never mind all the Korean and Asian ones. Um, mm-hmm. they're at a stage of success where like the sort of like interest in tactics that we have start to become slightly separable from the, uh, from the actual terms on, on like both economic and like artistic that really matter. Is it time to talk about the video? <laughs> hey listeners, the answer is no, because that's the end of part one of our blood, sweat and tears discussion. Uh, tune in very soon for part two, where we delve into the video, the visual language of this, and what we've learned and what we're taking on to the next rounds of Stan Ontology. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.